It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very relieved Rico Bronia podcast. Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman, the Mets survive. They don't get swept by the San Diego Padres. They don't fall out of first place. That was taken care of earlier in the day on Sunday when the Braves lost. What could have been a treacherous weekend, what could have been a disaster weekend, is avoided as the Mets salvage the finale against the Padres. I had quite an adventure getting to this game. Uh, Craig and I had talked about it on the air. We were doing a charity event out on Long Island at Mulcahy's on Sunday night. And so I was doing the event from 5 to 9. And as I'm meeting great listeners to the radio station, I would politely tell them, hey, I'm DVRing the Met game, Uh, which is an awkward thing to say when everybody is like a Met fan. There's some Yankee fans, but tons of Met fans. And most people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. But I did run into a couple of issues throughout my evening, including one person who said, hey, Evan, no worries, no score. And I said, what? Don't, don't tell me the freaking score. Now, at that point, I think it was like 8 o'clock. So I figured, okay, I got my first spoiler. It's going to be very typical of the first two games of this series where nobody's going to score. Now, the positive to that is when Carlos Carrasco loads the bases with two outs and nobody on in the first inning and he gives up the back-to-back hits and he walks Luke Voigt. I was never nervous because some schmuck at the charity event told me, don't worry, it's 0-0. And I figured time-wise, that had to have at least gotten me to the third or fourth inning. The other thing that happened, which turned out not to be the case, but my mind does tricks on me when I'm DVRing a game and I think someone's giving me a hint. This woman says to me as I'm leaving, at about 8.45, 9 o'clock, you got swept by the Padres. And I'm thinking to myself, well, time-wise, this doesn't work unless the Mets are losing 8 nothing. Maybe she's just talking trash. Maybe this is a Yankee fan beginning the Subway Series actions by talking trash at me. All I know is when I got to my car, I said to my wife, I, my, my mind is doing tricks on me. I have no idea what's going on in this Met game, but a part of me thinks it's 0-0, and then the Padres break it open in the fifth inning, hence why the woman told me the Mets are going to get swept. The 0-0 part was right. Obviously, the Mets were never getting killed in this game, though when Eric Cosmer, who I just want to punch in the face, I am so sick of thinking about Eric Cosmer, looking at Eric Cosmer. It makes it worse that they almost traded for him uh, not too long ago. Who knows how that would have worked out, though? Because Eric Cosmer kills the Mets, but then as a Met, he may have killed us. Let's be fair. But when he rips that RBI double off of the immortal Drew Smith in the sixth inning, I think we're all thinking the same thing. Oh, my God. I'm watching the same crap I watched yesterday and the day before. 
You get a good starting pitching performance, in this case, five scoreless from Carrasco. Wasn't easy, but bottom line is, he didn't give up a run in five innings, and the Mets are going to find a way to lose because their offense sucks. Kind of like Friday when Max Scherzer makes one bad pitch. Kind of like Saturday when Chris Bassett gets hosed by Jim Wolf missing a strike three on Manny Machado. And then he gives up, makes one bad pitch, and Manny takes him deep. And we'll get into Buck Showalter, who completely screwed up the Saturday night game, as we will get to. But it did feel, and by the way, my voice has nothing to do with COVID, has nothing to do with being sick. It has to do with the fact that I hosted the charity event, and I felt like I was screaming into the microphone the entire time. Because it was very loud. Uh, I was hosting like live auction items. And Craig couldn't make it because he's still dealing with COVID. So I had to carry the event. And now, now my voice is to the crops. But it's not related to sickness or COVID or anything like that. It's just... I thought you sounded really sexy, to be honest with you. I thought it was great. That, that, that was your sexy voice. It's after midnight. That's true. We are recording this well after midnight. Great commitment by Pete Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. I'm watching, I'm watching this awful documentary on... I can't even get into it right now. It's very inappropriate. So we'll move on. But yeah, it's on Netflix. I was trying to... F- try to find something to stay up, okay? Because I'm done at like 10.30, right. 10, 10, 10.45. It's like, all right, I got another two hours. So let me find something to keep me going. And this is just awful. But yeah, I'm up. I Let's respect that you were able to do that for me. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> Any, anything for you, Evan. And Pete knew. podcast. Yeah, that's right. For the pop, for the Rico. Pete knew it was going to be a long night. Because I gave him a heads up early. I said, look, midnight, 12.30, 1 a.m. I don't know when we're going to record this. I thought thing. 2 a.m. I thought it was like 2 a.m. I was like, oh, this is going to be a late one. But whatever. Listen, well, look, good. here's the truth. It wouldn't be fair to do this podcast after not watching the game. I mean, that's who I am. I watch every Met game. So how the hell am I going to come on and barely watch a Met game and say, oh, yeah, let's break down this series? I mean, I scored this freaking game. I watched everything in this game. And that's and I mentioned this before on the podcast. It's a part of why DVR is the greatest invention of all time that you can have nights where you do other things and still as a diehard fan, not miss anything. And even though I thought I had spoilers throughout my evening, the truth is I really didn't have any spoilers because the last thing I thought was going to happen was what happened in the sixth inning. And I feel good that after watching the Mets struggle as much as they did offensively against the Cubs and struggle in the first two games against the Padres, that maybe one swing of the bat really broke everything open because Pete Alonso's three-run home run, especially following the frustrations of the previous inning. Remember what happened in the bottom of the fifth inning? It's a footnote now in this game. Vogelbach, and we'll get to that trade coming up, gets the leadoff single. They get a double by Mark Canna. They have second and third nobody out, and they can't score. They can't score. Luis Guillermo's tapping out to Hosmer. Tomas Nitto's grounded out on the first pitch to third base. And then Brandon Nimmo's unable to come through with a two-out hit. So you have second and third nobody out down a run now because, of course, the Padres scored that run in the top of the inning on the heels of failing with second and third nobody out. So even with Pete Alonso up, I didn't have a lot of confidence they were going to bust open. And I did think for a second, especially when Pete got ahead of the count, that with McNeil struggling, and with the rest of the order not putting a lot of fear in your heart, that Bob Melvin was going to say, put him on. Now, it's a one nothing game. Are you managing that way in the sixth inning? I thought it was possible because even in the Saturday game where the Mets couldn't hit, think about what Pete Alonso did in that game. He was three for four, and the one time he made out, he ripped a line drive to center field. Pete's been on it. He wasn't hitting the ball over the fence, but he's been on it. So I was sort of surprised at two and one, 
even before the at-bats started, that Melvin didn't say to himself, you know what, one nothing game, we've got McNeil, Vogel, Bach, Canna coming up. F it. I'm not going to let Pete Alonso beat me. But luckily, he didn't go with that approach. And Pete Alonso, with that home run to left center field, at least my hope is, and certainly it looked that way throughout the 6th, 7th, and a little bit in the 8th, even though they didn't score, is that maybe that hit breaks open this offense. Because look, I know I wouldn't have said this if the Mets got swept. You would have gotten a full panic of me because I'm a diehard fan and I would have been freaking out. This offense is not as bad as the way it's played. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have had a bat, more so than just Vogelbach. Like, obviously, they still need to make additions. We've talked about this before. But sometimes when a team is struggling, we start to think, well, that's who they are. They're not this bad. They're not an offense that's going to score two runs a game. They're not the offense we saw in Chicago. They're not the offense we saw in the first two games against this series. Doesn't mean they're a five-run-per-game offense. Doesn't mean they should sit idly by. But I think sometimes we are going to over-exaggerate based on what we've seen recently. I, I really believe that. Now, again, Mets lose this game one nothing. Am I saying that so calmly right now? Probably not. Probably a little emotional. Can I can I question you on that though? Of course, because I I have gotten some some debates with people on Twitter, which is a bad thing to do. Yes, it is. But it <laughs> needs needs to happen because there's too many people that are pos- Like I'm have been very positive all season long. Right. But in this moment, a little dose of reality is good too. And there's too many people de- defending. Like you're saying, Mets haven't been aren't this bad. They they're not. They're not. But in the in the since like June eighth though, they've been. About mediocre, yes. offensively speaking, they've been on the bottom half of the league. Well, actually, on the bottom like ten of the league. Here's what you got to ask yourself. Here's what you got to ask yourself. What what is the New York Mets offense? What is it? Are they a five run per game offense? No. Are they a three and a half run per game offense? What are they? And sometimes it takes a while to get to the numbers that you're at. But right now, if you look at where the Mets are offensively for the totality of this season, they are fifth in the National League in runs per game. That's where they're sitting. It's not a great number, but they're at about 4.6 runs per game. Are they a fifth in the National League kind of offense? Probably. It's probably what they are. Like, the numbers in totality from what we've seen this season is what they are. They're not as good as what they were in the first two months of the year where they weren't fifth in the National League. They were first or second in the National League. And they're not necessarily as bad as what they've been over the last few weeks. But I want to make something clear. That's not me talking super positively like, hey, they shouldn't do anything. Of course they should do something. Of course they should improve this offense. But I'm just, we have to kind of remind ourselves that what we've seen over the last few weeks isn't necessarily what they are. They're not that bad, nor are they the offense we saw over the first two months of the year that scored five runs per game. I don't think they're that good either. So, They are right now a mediocre offense that needs to get better, no doubt. But they're not as bad as the way they've played over the last few weeks. Which leads me to the question of what we talked about this last podcast with the trade deadline. What bat is really out there that's going to make this team significantly better in the top of the division? So here's the thing. And this is our first pod since they made the Vogelbach trade. A guy that we actually mentioned. We mentioned him briefly when we did the trade deadline podcast, but his name was absolutely mentioned, and I forget what both of us said. I think both of us were like, sure, fine. 
Um, you said Christian Walker. I said Vogelbach's the better. I'd go Vogelbach because I feel like he's got 30-plus power. That's right. So you endorsed Vogelbach. It came from I, you. I did, <laughs> but I didn't actually do it. Look, let, let's react to this trade, all right? And I think I had an opinion that a lot of Met fans have. And I got into an argument with somebody in direct messages who's, uh, I'll just say who it is. Me and Governor Christie were arguing about it. Oh. We had differences of opinions. <laughs> I, I don't hate the trade. I want to make that clear. I like the trade. I think that adding Vogelbach as a left-handed bat who's done great damage against right-handed pitching is fine. He's a clear upgrade over Dom Smith. We're at the point where we got to move on. Dom's on the IL. I don't think he plays another game for the Mets this season. Maybe another game for the Mets ever. Okay? So I look this look at this simply as, is Vogelbach an upgrade over Dom Smith? Clearly. I don't think there's any question offensively. He's an upgrade, especially the way he mashes right-handed pitching. The thing that took me by surprise is that they had to give up a competent major league arm out of this bullpen. And one thing we talked about on our trade deadline podcast was when I'm at the trade deadline trying to improve my roster, I don't want to take anybody off my current roster. I don't want to trade anybody off my current roster. Now, this isn't the same as the A's trading Ioannis Espinas or even the Mets trading Xavier Nady back in 2006. I get it. Colin Holderman had thrown how many innings as a Met? But he was still, if you're ranking the relievers this year, saying, hey, who do I trust? He's in the top four. I mean, after Diaz and after Rodovino, you could make an argument you trust Holderman over Seth Lugo, clearly over Joely Rodriguez, maybe even over Drew Smith. Like, Holderman had looked good. And so I was taken back and disappointed that the piece they had to move in this deal was a guy who can help them right now. Would I have preferred to have given up a single-A player that I wouldn't have to think about for three years? Absolutely. Now, obviously, that single-A player could turn out to be a competent player down the road, could be a star down the road. I get that. It just, I didn't love, this doesn't mean I hate everything, I didn't love the idea that they were removing a guy from this team who could help them now. Okay, that's what I didn't love about it. And the answer that Billy Epler gave was, well, there's a lot of relievers on the market. Okay, well, then go trade for three of them. That'd be my answer. Like, okay, if there are so many relievers on the market, I'm surprised how many relievers are on the market. Go add three. I'm not even kidding that three is the number. Two is probably more realistic. They clearly need to add a lefty. Joely Rodriguez is a disaster. We saw a little brief preview of David Peterson out of the bullpen. He wasn't great today. Doesn't mean I'm giving up on him out of the bullpen, but it was not a great bullpen debut for David Peterson. And if all goes well with the Mets' health, he's going to be in the bullpen. So they need to add a lefty. They need to add a legitimate eighth inning guy because as great as Adovino's been, I still don't trust him for the next few months. And then why not a third? So my answer to Billy Epler, if, hey, listen, you got to give up something to get something. He gave all the cliches for why they traded Colin Holderman. Okay, go at two, three relievers then. And then we'll see. Then Pete and I and every other Met fan will say, oh, wow, you added David Robertson and A.J. Puck and Andrew Chafin. Great. You did a fine job. I don't care that you gave up uh, Colin Holderman. But for now, for this moment, they gave up a reliever out of this bullpen and they haven't replaced them. So, did you view the trade that way, Pete? No, I didn't. I, I assumed that they'd be getting better in the trade deadline as far as relief pitcher-wise, so I was never concerned. Okay. Hold, Holderman, 
showed he could pitch in the major leagues, but who knows if that falls back down to earth. We talk about prospects all the time and, like, you value them so high. If he went in a couple more days and he was off, does his value go low? Can you not trade him for Vogelbach or whatever it is? It's like, okay, this guy really wasn't going to be lengthy in a New York Met uniform anyway. I I never never thought he's going to be, like, a a top-end relief pitcher for the New York Mets. So I'm okay with that. Vogelbach, I don't think, was somebody that we had to sit there and say, we have to give up a big piece to get him. But in the end, I'm happy that he's with the Mets. He actually played well today. Yeah. He, for you know, His at-bats were, were huge. Look, I mean, he had the base hit that started the rally in the fifth. Unfortunately, they couldn't score. He had the walk that kind of started the second portion of the rally in the sixth inning. He's got great command of the strike zone. He's going to be a lovable guy because he's fat. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious that who doesn't love a fat guy? And Vogelbach's fat. He just looks lovable. And it seems like he has a connection with every Met. Uh, He was teammates or did something with Tomas Nitto. Brandon Nimmo knew him years ago. Like, everybody seems to know Vogelbach. And he sort of looks like a Vogelbach, doesn't he? He just has that. Somebody said it looks like he ate, like, Rowdy Telez or something like that. I don't know. Something ridiculous. Look, as long as he hits and he produces, we'll all like him. But I don't think that this is the bat, the end-all bat. Now, to answer your question that you asked five minutes ago, and then we went off on Vogelbach, the guy to add, the guy I'm warming up more and more to, that they should add that really changes things in this lineup, realistically, is Josh Bell. Because I think it's obvious Josh Bell's going to be traded. Switch hitter. Great splits from both sides. Uh, can play first base. Not that that's really that important. I think Bell, to me, of the guys that are 100% going to be traded, because there are some other guys that I think since we last spoke that you can start thinking about. And I go right to the Red Sox. You know, it's funny. When we did our trade deadline pod a week ago, it feels like it was an eternity ago because the Red Sox had such an embarrassing weekend against Toronto, the inside the park grand slam where Duran just kind of gives up on it. Like, it was such a bad weekend that you start to wonder now, wait a second, Wilhelm Bloom sell? Like, I I didn't even want to bring up talking about the Red Sox a week ago because I thought it was unrealistic. I think their weekend was so bad that could they trade J.D. Martinez? Yeah. And J.D. was always the dream guy. That was always the... The number one, oh my God, if the Red Sox could fall out of it, it'd be so good. And they've got other guys that would be pretty appealing. They've had guys in their bullpen that have had pretty good years. That would be interesting to target. So I don't know if Heim Bloom's going to do it, but when you say, hey, what bat can they add that really makes a difference? Realistically, Josh Bell, and I'd continue on with J.D. Martinez. And I doubt that trading for Vogelbach is necessarily going to preclude the Mets from doing something else. I think they looked at Vogelbach more as a, we're replacing Dom Smith. And if he has to become just a left-handed bat off the bench who pinch hits for Tomas Nito, then that's what he should do. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And, and by the way, we're going to have Buck on, Craig and I, on our Monday show. We are back. We will do a few shows and then take another vacation. But we got Buck on. And all I, here's what I want to hear from Buck Showalter. It's <laughs> something that Luis Rojas would never give me. And Aaron Boone used to give me a lot. And that is, uh, hey, guys, I effed up. That's all, that's all I want to hear because Buck has done a great job this year. He really has. And I think a lot of what he's done that's so great can't be measured. The way he runs the locker room, fantastic. He's, he's done great. But what happened Saturday night was so freaking confusing and made absolutely no sense that all Buck has to do is say, guys, I've been thinking about it. You're right. How the hell do I let a five... 20 OPS hitter and Tomas Nitto hit because he happened to get lucky and have a base hit in his previous at bat. Like, that's all you got to say. When, and this is the way this game went, I guess it shows you how superstitious I can be. So, J.D. Davis comes up with first and second two outs, down two nothing, and obviously I'm dreaming of a three-run home run. I'm at the game with my son Jet, just me and him, and he's like, Dad, they're going to lose. I'm like, I know Jet, they probably are. But I said, all right, J.D. Davis, he's the lead run. And as J.D. comes to the plate, I look to my right, and I see Tomas Nitto in the on-deck circle. And I didn't want to say anything out loud. But I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to let Tomas Nitto hit. You know, maybe he's just effing around. And he's looking at, you know, why, why show your hand if you're Buck? There's no need to. Plus, J.D. Davis may strike out, which I thought he was. Like, I didn't think he was going to come through. And he did. He comes through with a little blue base hit. It's a two-to-one game. First and third, two outs. The place is rocking. And then I see Tomas Nitto walking to the batter's box. And I'm like, did he not get the message to him yet? Like, did Buck not communicate quickly enough? And look, I understand that we're dealing with Taylor Rodgers on the mound. He's a lefty. First of all, Taylor Rogers is not freaking Billy Wagner in his prime. Okay, he's not Sandy Koufax. Let's let's calm down. Taylor Rogers is the most hittable closer in baseball. So because you've got Mazika and McNeil and Vogelbach and Jankowski, I think was already used as a pinch runner, but you've only got left-handed bats. I get that. We're still talking about Tomas Nitto, who is a pitcher. He's a pitcher hitting. He lays down bunts, and I like it. Like, when he laid down that sack bunt in the third inning, which obviously went nowhere because the Mets couldn't come through, I applauded it. I said, good, you can't hit. So lay down a freaking bunt. I'd rather that than a double play. But when Nitto gets to the box, I'm thinking to myself, okay, let's just be rational, Evan. McNeil is hurt. He has that little confidence in Vogelbach against the lefty, and why use Mazika? 
So I was under the assumption Jeff McNeil has to be hurt. Obviously, we know what happens. Nino hits that little pop-up to second base. The game is over. I'm now leaving this stadium holding the, 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 the heaviest bag you could ever have. Because when you take your five-year-old to a baseball game, you have to make sure you have everything. Food, an iPad just in case, his scorebook, my scorebook, bottles of water I never used. Like, my back was going to break from holding this bag. But okay, that's fine. Got to do it. We had a great time. We're getting up the uh, aisle way. And a security guard runs over. I thought I broke the freaking law. Evan, 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 Evan. I'm like, yeah, so everything okay? He's like, where the hell is Jeff McNeil? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I don't know, sir. Is he hurt? I said, I'm assuming he's hurt because it made no sense that Buck Showalter just let Tomas Nitto and his 495 OPS hit. I can't figure it out. He's And he was obviously upset, as was I. And uh, then we left. And I'm walking down the stairwell. And I'm getting pissed off like, Buck, this is the first time I'm leaving the ballpark pissed at you. Like, this doesn't make sense. And a lot of times after games, I want to hear the manager speak. But then there are times in which I don't want to hear anything. I just want to go to bed. I want to forget about this game. I'll figure it out the next day. But when I got home and I tucked my son into bed and I checked my phone, I see a quote of, well, Tomas Nitto had a hit earlier in the game. Jeff McNeil's fine, out of rhythm because he didn't start the game. Like, all these weird answers that made no freaking sense. So, look, I'm I'm not going to tell you we're going to harp on this. I think it's worthy of a question or two when Buck comes on. But all Buck really has to say, it's the most disarming thing you can say, at least to me, which is, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah. I don't know why, guys. Nitto had a base hit earlier. I get, I just... I felt good. Sometimes you can give the answer of my gut told me Tomas Nitto was going to hit a three-run home run. And then you could bring up, hey, did you watch Sunday? Ripped an RBI double. Like, yeah, broken clock is right twice a day. Of course, occasionally Tomas Nitto is going to run into one. It happens. I would not have banked on him running into one in the ninth inning, first and third. And the other thing that just drives me nuts about this is Jeff McNeil has arguably been the Mets' most clutch hitter. And all you need is a single. You wouldn't send him up. I just, none of it made. And Nito got hurt the night before. We all thought he was going on the injured list. They're trading for Michael Perez. And so Nito not only plays, he's banged up and he's batting with first and third. Look, I don't want to spend too much more time on it. I think we all agree it was a stupid move. But, and this is a compliment for Buck, it was the first time I was really pissed off at him. Because every other time, it's maybe a little agitation, slightly annoyed. I've never been that pissed. And it took until late July for me to be pissed off. But my anger kind of moves away because they won. They won the finale of this series. So it's easy to just kind of brush it by. But it does lead to a much more important issue, Pete. And that's the fact that Tomas Nitto, as much as he's a funny guy, and we all respect him, and he's really good defensively, he can't hit, man. I mean, it is, it's a pitcher hitting. And so Mazika, you know, he'll run into one once in a while, but Chris Bassett wants to, like, kill Patrick Mazika because he can't stick with all the different signs that he has. Perez was a depth move. We all know that. Do they have to trade for a catcher now? Like, we brought up Sean Murphy last week, but 
Does this now become a thing? Because this is really this is their catching situation long term. They're not calling up Francisco Alvarez. We all have to accept that. I, I get that. Which, by the way, I have my issues with them not calling up anybody over this past month. That's that's an issue for a different story for a different day. But there are other catchers that are out there that could be had that are defensively gifted and give you a little bit more pop. I'm not talking about the Wilson Contreras of the world either. I'm talking about days like, you look around the league, Sean Murphy's fine, but I think he's going to be more expensive because I think he's got... Your guy too, Jan Gomes, is fine. He's he's better offensively than Tomas Nitto. Dude, he had two, he had two home runs yeah. today. He had, he had two... He started today, he, he starts like once every few days, he had two home runs, he's batting 222, whatever. But again, gives you some sort of life. Gives you some sort of a bat. But if you're looking for a defensive catcher and a little pop anywhere but the Mets, we have none right now. And even when McCann comes back, he gives you no life too. It gives you sometimes a little bit of power, if, but just not, not enough. If they are fully committed to not calling up Alvarez, and, and look, when, when we talked about calling up Alvarez, it was more as a DH. Like, we were not pressing, or at least I wasn't pressing for Alvarez to come up catching because I get it. Is he ready to catch this staff in a pennant race, a veteran pitching staff in a race like this more than twice a week? The answer is clearly no, because the Mets have no trust in that. They have no belief in that. And there's nothing we can look at that's going to really prove that. Just because Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer were fine with him when Alvarez caught them once doesn't really mean anything. But if they are dead set against Alvarez catching this year, which is fine, I think you're right. I think you do have to look at the trade market, and Wilson Contreras is the number one guy. He's clearly a rental, though. I'm afraid of what that price tag is going to be. Uh, Sean Murphy, you mentioned, does have a lot of team control, so does that bring up his price tag? And Jan Gomes got like that. He's an upgrade over what they have because what they have right now is Nitto, who gives you very little offensively, and Patrick Mazika, who's probably not a major league catcher. He's just probably not. So I think as we look long-term, if you could add, if you hit the jackpot in adding a DH and you added Josh Bell or J.D. Martinez, maybe it makes us more, I guess, content with, all right, there's going to be one spot in the order that's basically the pitcher spot. If you have enough production elsewhere in the lineup, can you live with one spot in your order that's a dead zone? It's easier to deal with it. The problem is, are they ever going to get production out of third base? Because we've been patient with Eduardo Escobar. We saw Luis Guillerme start this game. And look, I love Luis Guillerme. He's cooled off. Like, he's not what his number. He's not a 300 hitter. So, it's not just catcher. It's also the questions about what are you going to get offensively from third base? Well, first of all, Guillerme today, Perez said something stupid like... Uh, He's got power to center field, left left field. Did you hear that in the broadcast? Dude, the broadcast says a lot of dumb things. They say a lot of dumb things, Pete. Yeah. Okay, good. Just making sure you you heard that too. But on top of that, I'm done with this dead spot period. Like, I'm not sitting there saying that, you know, everyone's got to be batting 250 and above. No, I I get that's not going to happen. That's not realistic. But you got to be a little bit more, you know, proactive. We have a dead spot at catcher. We have a dead spot at third base. You know, Guillermo, like I said, is not, not as productive as he once was. At least try to upgrade a little bit even. 
That's yeah, a but, little bit. And if you bring if you bring in a D if you bring in a DH, that's fine. But still, we still need something better than Tomas Nito sh- showing up or Patrick Mazzini. But if you up. if you add JD Martinez, let's just say let's just say the Mets hit the jackpot sure. and boom, they add JD Martinez. It lengthens this lineup in such a way where you can live with a lack of production from catcher. Now, if you're not adding JD Martinez and you end up adding. Let's say you don't add up anybody offensively and you're living with a J.D. Davis, Daniel Vogelbach, platoon basically at DH, then I think there is more of a priority of, all right, I need a little bit more production out of catcher, a little bit more production out of third base. Because here's the truth we all have to understand. The Mets are not adding a DH, a third baseman, a catcher, and three relievers. They're not adding that many things, dude. (laughs) No, I know, I know, but but it it feels like... But this is the pr- and this is the problem that I have, Ev. And this is this is maybe this is just me, or maybe I capture a certain group of Mets fans. But since June seventh, which I've been very patient mm-hmm. on, I've been very positive and patient. The Mets have just basically been mediocre, like I said, and and they're okay with just a mediocre team. And that to me is not good enough. When you have a team that is scuffled every year, your second half is always bad. It, or not saying always bad, but t- we've seen the collapses over the years. Why wait to the trade deadline? Why wait to see what we could fix last minute? Why haven't you been proactive? That's my biggest well, well, but, but, but wait a second. Hold on. Team. First of all, they haven't been a bad team since June 7th, okay? Mediocre. Yeah, they've been Mediocre. slightly above 500, Mediocre. but you know what? That's the makings of a 95-win team. Have a couple of hot streaks and then survive the rest of the season. That's basically what you have to do. <coughs> Surviving is a terrible way to go. Well, yeah, but what? first of all, surviving is—they is, is, they have not. No one's been traded for the most part. This is not exactly like there's been 57 trades and the Mets are sitting idly by. Now, should they have called up Mark Vientos over the last month or Francisco Alvarez over the last month to see if any of your options can come internally? Yeah, I've suggested that. We both have said that. Obviously, they don't believe in Alvarez. Vientos would have been a great call up, let's say, three weeks ago because maybe, not that Vientos would have torn it up, who knows, but it may have changed our view and the Mets' needs going into the trade deadline. We mentioned that a month ago. But as far as trades are concerned, who's been traded? I mean, the Mets actually made an early trade by acquiring Vogelbach. For the most part, teams wait. and It's always the case. They wait until the last week before the trade deadline. That's when the action occurs. You don't usually get key pieces traded a month before the trade deadline. That's That just usually doesn't happen. I, and I understand that and respect that. But again, it wasn't about the trade. It was about the calling up. No, that, I would have called. Look, Vientos or Alvarez, either one of them should have been called up over the last month. Because now what they've That's a mistake. Now what they've done is they've got to go trade for bats. They've got to. They've got to go at a DH. They've got to go improve this team offensively. And there isn't that option of, hey, we saw Vientos for four weeks. He was actually productive. He's going to be a part of the solution. You can't rely on that now. In August and September, you've actually got to go out and rely on adding a bat. And they will. Like, I'm not sitting here worried that the Mets aren't going to make a deal. I think they're 100% going to add multiple relievers. And I think they're going to add a DH. I'm not sure they're going to add a catcher. I certainly don't think they're going to add a third baseman. I think we're looking at a couple of moves. Is it going to be the ones that I'm dreaming of? I don't know. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I worry, and this is why the whole Juan Soto discussion has sort of driven me nuts. I want to make something clear. I'm not telling you what the Nationals should do. I'm telling you what they haven't done. And what they haven't done is trade with the New York Mets. So for anybody who says, oh, shut up, Evan, of course they trade in the division. Based on what? Like, seriously, based on what? When has Mike Rizzo made a deal with the New York Mets? When's that happen? We mentioned it a few weeks ago. It doesn't happen. So... I'm not even wasting our time with Juan Soto. Here's what I'll tell you. I'm not convinced he trades Josh Bell to the Mets. I'm not. I'm about to say. Or, or even Nelson Cruz at that point. Yeah, I don't know that. I mean, the Nationals and this general manager, they don't want to help a team in the division. And you can argue all you want saying that doesn't make sense, Evan. Why do they care about Josh Bell? I'm not disagreeing that it's stupid. Like, I remember when the Mets were out of it and they were selling Beltron. There was a rumor that the Braves were interested. And you know how much I hate the Atlanta Braves. I remember saying very, very casually and calmly to Beningo on the air, if the Braves make me the best offer, I will trade Beltron's ass to Atlanta. I'm a rebuilding team. I don't care. I, I preferably don't want the Braves to win the World Series, but I will never cut my nose off despite my face or whatever the phrasing is. So personally, I'm not arguing with anyone out there who says it's dumb for the Nationals to not trade in the division. I agree. It's dumb. All I'm telling you is I have no evidence to believe that all of a sudden Mike Rizzo is going to wake up and say, I'll make a trade with the Mets. Ho, ho, ho. Really? When has that happened? So forget Juan Soto. I'm not even talking about Juan Soto. I'm talking about Josh Bell, who I think would be a great fit for this team. I am not convinced that this doofus in Washington is willing to make any kind of trade with the New York Mets. All right. With that said, what, they, what if it's, go ahead. What if it, last yes. lastly, what if it Josh Bell and Patrick Corbin? No. You think that'll happen? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Listen, my only interest in taking back Patrick Corbin is if that gets me Juan Soto. And by the way, I would trade everything in my farm system for Juan Soto. And I wouldn't hesitate. I, I swear to God, because the availability of a player like this is so rare. He is such an incredible talent, such a special talent, that there is not a human being in my farm system that would cause me to hesitate. So as much as it may sound nuts to say, you're going to trade Alvarez and Mauricio and Vientos and this and that. Dude. It's Juan Soto. You have a chance to get him. You trade whatever it takes to get him. With that said, I stand by my belief that the Nationals will never, ever, ever 
trade him inside the division. It's just never going to happen. But hey, Med fans, for our own mental sake, thank God they won this finale because in conjunction with the Braves losing to the Angels, that half-game lead, that inevitability. My dad even texted me Sunday morning. Uh, this is our last day in first place. Not only do we get another day in first place, we were able to add to the lead and get it back to a game and a half. With that said, there's a ton of games against the Braves. They got a four-game series in Atlanta. They got a five-game series at City Field. They're going to play the Braves over a two-week period of time. or Yeah, about a two-week period of time. Nine times. Like they're going to play them nine out of 15 or nine out of 16 games. It's insane. So there's obviously going to be tons of head-to-head. It's all after the trade deadline. So whatever additions the Braves make, whatever additions the Mets make. But now, Mets fans, I want to give you a brief reminder because this is going to be an emotional week. We all know it. We all know what the Subway Series is like and how obnoxious Yankee fans can be to us and how douchey Yankee fans can be to us. And so I understand that Tuesday night at City Field is going to feel like the postseason. I acknowledge that. Will I be heavily into every game? Of course. Will I be at City Field every single night for these games? Of course. Am I pumped up that Buck Showalter announced that Max Scherzer is going to go on regular rest and pitch the Wednesday game? Absolutely. With all of that said, all right? With all of that said, These games only matter in terms of our pennant race. That's it. It's like if we were playing the Marlins. It's like if we were playing the San Diego Padres. In fact, I could argue this is even less relevant because there's no tiebreakers. There's no we're battling with them for a playoff spot. There's none of that. So, yes, in the moment, these games are going to feel like World Series games. They're going to feel like postseason games. There's going to be a ton of trash talk. Yankee fans are going to be extra douchey if they win. If the Mets win, they will tell us it's our World Series. I'm used to it. I've seen it all. I've experienced all these interleague games since they started back in 1997. But I think we all need to take a big deep breath together, okay? It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not. Doesn't mean we aren't going to act that way in the moment. Don't shake your head at me off. You know I'm right. Like, it really isn't that. It's a, it's, it matters in terms of the pennant race because every game's going to matter in terms of the pennant race. It is. They're going to go to Miami this weekend. Those games are going to matter because of the pennant race. You can't tell me that when the smoke clears and we're past the emotion that these games really matter more than any other game they play. Evan, Evan, you don't live in a split household. <laughs> you don't have a split family. This is ridiculous. Again, I, I told you before we started the podcast, my son JD was sitting there laughing as Edward Diaz had to come out in the ninth inning last night, uh, tonight or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you you have no, you have nothing in this race. You have right. nothing to gain off of this. If you're gonna go kill and, and laugh if Edward Diaz blows this, go upstairs, go to, go to sleep. If it's if it's a Yankees, it's a different situation. You can gloat, and if that happens, I, I can't I, deal I, with that. Like Pete, I, in my household, Pete, I totally good. understand what you're saying, but I stand by everything I just said. All that, what you described <laughs> as emotion, what you described as trash talk, what you described as look, what I'm going to deal with. I got to work with fake Yankee fan Craig Carton. I got to talk to Big Mac. I got to hear from Brandon Tierney, your host. I got to hear from Yankee fans. I know that it sucks. 
Like, I, I get it. Like, I'm not arguing that it's not going to sting. I'm just saying, if we take a deep breath, this really doesn't matter. Like, how you feel that night when JD is talking trash to you, or how I feel when Craig is talking trash to me, it's just emotion in terms of what these games mean. They're just all the same in terms of winning this division, which is the ultimate goal. And I know a lot of Mets fans are listening to me right now. It's like, shut up, you're wrong. We got to beat the Yankees. Look, I want to beat the Yankees. I get it. I want to win these two games. I want to be the one to pound my chest. But we just have to remind ourselves that it, it just doesn't matter. Like, by the time we get to Thursday when the Mets and Yankees are off, by the time we get to Friday and it's Mets-Marlins, it's two games that occurred at City Field on a Tuesday night and a Wednesday night. And by the way, not to put more pressure on us, it appears like it's going to be Taiwan Walker against Jordan Montgomery in the opener, which I give Ty the slight edge. Ty's had a better year, as good as Montgomery's been. And then the Wednesday night game, unless there's some kind of change, is going to be Max Scherzer against Domingo Herman. I mean, the pressure's on us, especially that second game. Like, we better pound Domingo Herman. We better we we have to have a, a lead still in the division at least by by Thursday going into Thursday like you, you can't you have to split the series. No, well, yeah, no, I mean you have to <laughs> look uh, strictly from a hey it's Max Scherzer against Domingo Herman on a Wednesday night they at minimum need to split the series but I I, I don't look at as much as I don't want to drop the second place and it felt like that was a possibility going into Sunday. I don't look at, and I know Joe has said this to me, and other Med fans have said this to me, once we fall out of first place, it's over. We'll never see it again. I don't believe that. And as much as last year scarred me, and there are these weird similarities we try to tell ourselves from last year to this year, I don't think this team is similar. I really don't. I, I don't think that just because the Braves have risen, which is similar in their end, I don't think this feels the same. I mean, the Mets are 22 games above 500. Like, let that sink in. They're 20, despite all the struggles, despite the offense embarrassing itself in the first two games against the Padres, despite blowing the finale against the Cubs, which, ooh, had similarities to the way they blew the final game at the All-Star break to the Pirates. Like, they're 59 and 37. They're a better baseball team than what they were last year. They just are. No question, and 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 that's the reason why. Right, it doesn't feel like the world is is collapsing. I just want to have a nice division win at the end of the season. I don't want to sit there and have to battle for a I wild agree. card. That that to me is ridiculous. However, the one thing I do feel a little nervous about with the Braves. Yes, they've been the hottest team in baseball since whatever, whether thirty five and twelve or something like that. They Soroka should come back at some point. How effective he'll be, who knows? Duvall just got hurt. They're going to be aggressive again yeah. at the trade deadline, which they were last year. And that's where we the Mets collapsed. And just remember this, though. Throws. Remember this about the Braves, since we're going to mention what Atlanta did last year. None of those moves at the time put the fear of God in you. None of them. They were all small, uh, uh, needed fixing of holes. But none of them was like that game changer. Oh, my God. Can you believe the Atlanta Braves acquired this guy? So let that be a reminder for us. As much as I want J.D. Martinez or Josh Bell or Wilson Contreras, if you're thinking about catchers, 
Sometimes it is the move, and maybe Daniel Vogelbach fits this. Sometimes it's those small moves that are necessary that turn out to be the difference in all of this. So while the Atlanta Braves certainly went out and were aggressive before the trade deadline, and I blame that five-game series where the Mets lost three out of five against them that gave Anthopoulos the hope of, hey, we're still in this thing, they were all, I don't want to say they were on the margin moves. I think they were more significant than that, but they weren't blockbuster moves that put the fear of God in you. And sometimes those are the moves that make all the difference. So as much as we want the star-driven move, those aren't necessarily the ones that make the biggest difference come October. No, you're right. But what they did, though, they made a yeah. lot of them. That's the one thing that they, they have like a surplus of guys. When we were talking about, oh, we can't imagine the Mets getting three arms plus a catcher plus a third baseman. Well, that's kind of what the Braves did last year. Not, not the biggest moves, but they did fill in every single gap possible. They literally had yeah. a new outfit. By the way, what's also happened, and I don't think it's a big deal because if you have studied this new playoff format, it benefits the Mets. The L.A. Dodgers have won eight in a row. They've completely run away with the best record in the National League. And the only reward you get for having the best record in the National League is home field advantage throughout. If you finish with the second best record in the National League, you also get a first round bye. So I'm going to explain this to everybody listening so you can understand why the Mets are better off finishing with the second best record in the league instead of the first best record in the league. You'll like this. Right now, all right, right now, the New York Mets would face the winner of the St. Louis Cardinals Milwaukee Brewers divisional or wild card series. Okay, that's who they'd face. The Cardinals or the Brewers. The Dodgers would face the winner of the Braves Padres wild card series. So just think about this, Mets fans. And I, I, I also think this playoff format is completely effed up. I don't think it's smart. There's no reseeding. I called up Major League Baseball to confirm this. They set it up like a bracket, okay? The Mets would again face the winner of Brewers Cardinals. The Dodgers would face the winner of Braves Padres. Bro, <laughs> I mean. That makes no because sense. Because the Brewers won their division or are leading their division. And so they wouldn't want to have the team with the best record have to face a co-division winner. But what we forget is that sometimes you win the division and you're not as good as one or two of the wild card teams. I believe that baseball will eventually fix this and do some reseeding. But for this season, the New York Mets clearly are better off finishing, obviously winning the division, obviously finishing with a top two record. But being number two is better than being number one. So you're saying there's a strategy behind them trying to slow down how many wins they have this season. Got it. Okay. Uh, I, I wish it was that easy. I I find this, by the way, repulsive. I think this playoff format in a lot of ways has major, major flaws. And I think this is clearly one of them. I mean, for the New York Mets, team-wise, bracket-wise, to be better off by a significant margin. And I don't mean that as any disrespect towards the Brewers. I think the Brewers are really good. I think they were my preseason team to, I forget what I picked them to do, get to the World Series or get to the NLCS, I think their rotation is really, really dangerous. But the Brewers and Cardinals, you do not fear them as much as I think you would fear the Atlanta Braves or the San Diego Padres, who obviously had pretty good success against the Mets this year, winning four out of six. So I leave you with that note, Mets fans. Think about that. Number two, better than number one. Just not in the division. Got to win this freaking division. And right now the lead is a game and a half. Um, 
We'll be on and do a pod right after Mets-Yankees, the brief two-game series Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and then again after they play a big weekend against the Miami Marlins. Another week that they start in first place in the National League East. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 